0: Hi everyone, I'm Steph Hunt. Welcome to And We're Rolling, the podcast. I'm an international journalist, producer, news boss and mum. The thought of finding our voice speaking in public or on camera can be terrifying, I know the feeling. So join me as I chat with the world's best female presenters, foreign correspondents, leaders and performers to learn what scares them the most, their secret tips and tricks and how they find the grit to keep on going. It's coming through a global pandemic, or the rising cost of living, or the passing of the great leader and monarch, Queen Elizabeth II. All of the above and more probably, so it's no wonder that it can feel like the world is in a bit of a spin at the moment. Well, this week's episode will hopefully help. It's all about taking a deep breath and pausing to find clarity and also joy in the simple things. Practicing simplicity and the easy, small steps you can take and brave choices you can make for a life less distracted. Jodie Wilson is an author, photographer and mother of four who has not only written the book but has made her own life-changing decision to flip everything about the way her family lives. In the midst of the rush and the race of everyday life and saving for a house deposit in a soaring property market in a suburb she didn't really feel connected to anyway, Jodie felt frustrated and complacent she felt unmotivated uninspired and frankly quite angry she knew something big had to change it was a gamble but Jody and her husband sold most of their belongings spent their hard-earned house deposit on a car and a caravan and packed up their four kids to travel australia i really love this chat with jody who now happily lives with her family near the beach in tasmania There's no nagging or preaching. Instead, Jodie gently reminds us about the value in owning less, reconnecting with nature, respecting those dreams tucked away inside brewing, and observing tiny moments of joy that prove we don't need a lot to live well. Jodie, I'm just going to take three deep breaths here. I've just (laughs) come in. As a hot mess, be where you are, be where you are. Words of, of wisdom that, that you write about in your book, which lives nice, just nicely on my bedside stand. Such a beautiful book. Let's start with your big life change, which involved selling most of your belongings, packing up your family, the four kids, a family of six to travel in a caravan around Australia, can you just set the scene of what your life was like before you made that big decision or or as you were making that big life
1: change? So my eldest was nine um, and my youngest was 11 weeks old. And my partner was working in the film industry and commuting to Sydney quite regularly from the New South Wales Central Coast. Uh, We were living in a house that I really didn't like, (laughs) We were renting a house in the suburbs. Um, I would drive the two oldest kids to school. I'd drive the three-year-old to preschool. I'd come back home. The house was full of all the stuff of family life. I was trying to work as a freelance writer. Um, and I just remember standing in the kitchen one night and going, "This, if I don't get off this path, we're just going to keep going and this doesn't mm. feel right. And it kind of, I just realised that it went against everything that I believed because I didn't believe in spending all my days just rushing around and just feeling like I just could never, ever keep up and I could never, ever find my ground and I could never, ever find that space between, you know, that quiet space. Um, And granted, I had four children, but I just knew in my heart that it just wasn't. It wasn't intuitively right for me as a woman and a mother and for us as a family. Um, And so when my eldest son was doing a school performance, um, he was on the stage and um, was a big auditorium. And this is how I opened the book describing this moment. Um, And he was doing a class performance based on Alice and Lester's picture book, Are We There Yet?, which is the true story of her family that camper Around half of Australia for, for uh, I think it was six months. Um, Mm. It's an amazing picture book if you've got children. I highly recommend it. Um, Yeah, but um, Che, my eldest, was on the stage, and then I had Marigold, my youngest, on a in a sling on my chest, and it was like there was a very clear timeline. In front of me and i thought it really didn't feel that that long ago it was chain it was the one on my chest and how has it been almost 10 years um and you know there's a beautiful quote by gretchen rubin that says you know that the days are long but the years are short and it just really resounded with me in that moment and so he was doing this play and my partner daniel turned to me and he said we could do that we could do that road trip around australia and i just it was like my my, intuition got in before my consciousness could because I just said yes. And he looked at me really, really puzzled and kind of shocked because I was someone that had always liked to have a plan, liked to know what was coming next, hated surprises um, and would get quite, um, yeah, just really fearful about any kind of change, at any kind of massive life decision. Mm. Um, But I think at that time in my life my my complacency or my fear of complacency grew bigger than my fear of change and i realized that if we didn't make this massive 180 turn because we were we'd had you know we would saved for seven years we had a 100 grand we were going to buy a house but house prices were soaring and i was totally uninspired by what we were seeing and i just thought no this is We've just got to do this, and so put all the kids into bed that night. And Daniel started looking at caravans on Gumtree, and we'd never caravanned or camped before in our life. Like it's not Mm -hmm. as if we had spent like one weekend a month caravanning or camping. Like this is totally new for us. And he said to me, "Are we really going to do this?" And I was like, "Yes, we really are." And on that, it was eight months after that night that we actually drove out of our suburban street towing the caravan and on every single one of those eight months of their day those days it just would have been so much easier not to do it It would have been so much easier because it was just it was so hard packing up you know four children we were still working we were selling cars we were trying to buy a caravan and a new car and we were just I was just dealing with a three-bedroom house full of the stuff of family life and it was hard, hard work, but I'm really glad I
0: did it. And you write about feelings of, of frustration and complacency. You write that you are unmotivated, uninspired, and frankly, quite angry, quite pissed off. Mm-hmm. I can I can I can relate to that. Where you're yeah, you're overwhelmed, you're exhausted, but you're still overwhelmed and underwhelmed at the same time. Yeah, and agitated. Yes, cranky, really agitated. Yeah,
1: yeah. and um. It just, the way we were living wasn't sustainable. And I know we talk mm. about sustainability in regards to the earth, but we don't really often talk about it in regards to our human selves. And, yeah. you know, we're not robots. We we naturally ebb and flow. Um, and we need downtimes in order to be productive on our flow times. Um, and I was not living sustainably at all. I was just, you know, I was breastfeeding and co-sleeping and running kids to and from school and just trying to do all the things. And I can see in retrospect now that I was not honouring the season I was in, and I think that's a really interesting mindset to have because at the moment now, we now live in Tasmania, skip ahead a few years, (laughs) Um, but my partner and I get up at 5.30 every morning and take our dog, our fifth child, (laughs) <laughs> um for a walk along the beach and there were so many years where i just thought i would love to go and walk the beach at dawn but i could not see how that was ever possible for me but i even didn't i didn't even have the clarity to think well maybe in 5 years time i'll be able to do that but i also what i recognized you know in those 8 months when we were packing up our life was that a i knew like this like the sky is blue i knew that if we didn't do it i would totally regret it like i could see myself as an 80 year old woman looking back on my life and thinking i really should have gone ahead with that trip um and b i also knew that we were in a golden pocket of time so our eldest was almost 10 and i knew that within a few years time his social life and his ability to be in a classroom with his peers was going to trump any kind of road trip with his family. So I knew that if we didn't go then, we never would go because yeah. we'd have teenagers and they wouldn't want to be leaving high school. Um, and so those were the two really driving forces. Um, and it's interesting because people say, oh, like, People used to say to me, like, what are you most looking forward to? And I hadn't even actually taken myself there. I hadn't gone there in my head because I just had to make every task really small. And I think that's such a good lesson for me in life as a naturally anxious person that um, I'm very much in my head and I can get overwhelmed easily um, making tasks really small, and as the subtitle of the book is "Small Steps and Brave Choices for a Life Less Distracted," um, it's really served me well going forward. In that, I know that a big task is better tackled when I really break it down.
0: Mm. It was, as you said, it was it was a gamble, a big gamble, a financial mm. gamble,
1: huge. Yeah, yeah. So
0: you hit the road in the caravan, four kids, six of you. What was it like?
1: I just remember a massive exhale on the the morning that we first woke up in the van. And the night before had been like utter chaos. It was dusk when we drove out of, you know, we'd handed the rental keys into the real estate guy that lived opposite us, put them mm. in his letterbox and literally closed the door on this rental and drove away. And that house was actually scheduled to be knocked down. So I felt like it was quite, <laughs> <laughs> like, it was. there was a it's lot a of sign. kind of, like, that's a sign. There was a lot of signs kind of pushing us along. Um, and then the baby cried all the way. Um, it was a 45-minute. We, we were like, okay, let's just make this first running the caravan, really short. We'll drive 45 minutes to the other side of the Central Coast. Mm -hmm. We'll go to a caravan park that has really got the best of the best in terms of kids' facilities. We'll get a site, a powered site with an ensuite attached just to really gradually ease into (laughs) van life. Yeah. Um, But when we arrived, it was dark. Um, Two of the children were asleep and Marigold, my youngest, was still breastfeeding. So I remember standing there... It was dark. I had my phone light on mm. and I was breastfeeding her and I was attempting to guide Daniel as he reversed <laughs> the van back into this thing. Um, so, yeah, it was just, it was hilariously chaotic and we, when the van was finally parked um, and Marigold on my breast was asleep, we carried the two middle kids into the van popped them in bed and then you know people you know when you see those like YouTube videos of the vans that are like organized and ours was not like that at all we'd literally just stuffed stuff in and so I located a saucepan and I located a family-sized tin of baked beans <laughs> and I heated I heated them up for my partner and me and And our eldest and then we just rolled into bed and we woke up the next morning and it just felt like oh my gosh we did it like we'd gotten over the biggest hurdle and we just spent a week in that caravan park organizing the van and and kind of getting used to van life and it was glorious and um not without its concerns as well like i still i was really scared about Actually towing the van because it was a big van. It was twenty-four foot. Yeah. And um, and because Daniel is quite realistic, he'd we'd sat down to watch quite a few um, YouTube videos of, of when people overcorrect their car and and then their van kind of fishtailed. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I just had those images <laughs> in my mind because I'm an anxious person, yeah. and I'm like, ah. <laughs> but anyway, that never happened. And um, yeah, it was just the start. I, f- I feel like its it was just the start of a whole new life for us yeah. because it actually was. We ended up spending two and a half years on the road and we knew that we, because we lived so well with so little, we knew that we could never go back to a life that would cost us so much just to live. And so the central coast of New South Wales just got so expensive, even though our families lived there, um, even though we'd grown up there. And we really felt quite a strong sense of belonging in Tasmania which is interesting from an ancestral point of view because Mm. I'm actually English and my mother is from New Zealand and my father is from England and I'd spent all my life growing up on the Central Coast and never felt a really strong affinity with it and yet here in Tasmania I just feel like I belong here which is a really comforting feeling. Um, It also offered us I mean, we live rurally. We live on the northwest coast in a tiny little town, Um, but we could afford to buy here. Mm -hmm. So we've bought a gorgeous little 1950s home and and my partner has been the primary stay-at-home parent for the last few years while I've written two books. So, you know, all those frugal lessons we learnt on the road have helped us live a life where we can afford to do that um and I think going forward those lessons that we learned on the road and there were a lot of them and I do detail them all in the book mm. but um they've really helped us prioritize what we want in our life moving forward for us and our poor children
0: how have the kids gone with the transition
1: they were really ready to go back to school the two oldest ones and um we had to honour that mm. um, and they'd, they'd kind of done enough of online learning and they just really craved that classroom social experience. Um, we also knew that we we all re- were really looking forward to having a little bit more, not so much space, but a bit more grounding. Yeah. And so not always having to think about where we were travelling to next and where we were going to stay next and, and that kind of stuff because you know regardless of how or where you live there's the work of life and that's mm. no different in a caravan mm. on the road there's still the work involved there's still responsibilities um you know some weeks we'd just stay put in a little town um and just catch up on washing and you know just enjoy doing all the normal daily things um because they were grounding mm. and it it was those experiences in little towns where we might not have hopped in the car for four or five days because we could walk everywhere. That's what really inspired us to settle in a small town yeah. because we loved that idea of not having to always drive places. So we're in a town where we can walk to the beach, we can walk to school, we can walk to the grocery store and the library and the post office. Like It's, it's heaven. Um, it's a lovely, yeah, it's a really lovely and very intentional
0: Lifestyle choice. So yeah, yeah, that's that's great. When I was, I think I was four or five, and my little brother Tom was eight weeks old. Mum and Dad did a similar thing. I'm the eldest of four. There were two more kids to come. But this, this is before the two other siblings popped along, and they packed everything up, left the small town of of Gunnedah with a, a yeah a, a truck and a, a caravan, and did the same thing. Traveled around. Wow. And they tell the funny story of um that very first trip. The very first day they forgot to pack everything down inside the caravan. So pack mm. all the plates and saucepans in the kitchen. And then I think that first day the first the first night they, they stopped, had a look in the caravan. There's just stuff. Stuff everywhere. But they um they continued the trip around Australia and they just they always talk about it the the freedom, the space, the ability to just to stop and get out of the out of the race, out of the rush. Mm. I, think I, I yeah. think I need that. I think I need that. This is calling me <laughs> big time.
1: It, look, it's not for everyone. And I think when I was writing the book, I was very aware that 98% of people reading the book were not going to sell all their belongings mm. and pack up to live on the road. Um, and I think that's why it was important to me and important to me personally moving forward because I knew I wasn't going to continue living in a caravan on the road either. Yeah. But what 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 were those lessons that I learnt on the road that ultimately are universal mm. and they um, are relevant for people that live in high rises in the most urban environments to those that live rurally or in the suburbs or in towns? Um, there's a few of them. One, when you spend time in nature, so barefoot on the ground, when you actually step outside your house and look up at the moon, when you go swimming in the ocean, when you go hiking, nature really helps you put things into perspective. Um, And I'd spent all my motherhood encouraging my kids to go outside, Mm. to play in the dirt, to not come in till dinner time, but I never gave myself that same advice. Um, and, And what I discovered, more than any amount of yoga that I've ever done, more than any amount of deep breathing, or kind of relaxation practices it was nature that was the biggest salve for my yeah. anxiety yeah and it grounded me in a way that I never anticipated which was really beautiful but quite shocking as well if I compared what I was like six months into the trip compared to you know when I left um, and so I still do that now I make sure that I every single day I'm out in nature yeah. So that was a really big lesson for me. The second one was that we don't need a lot to live well. You know, we live in a consumerist society and it's really hard to step off that path. But when you live in a caravan, everything you carry has to be considered for its purpose, its size and its weight. Um, And, you know, if something that we needed broke on the road, we'd just pop into the local op shop to pick up a new one. Um, and we'd always been quite conscious consumers in that we'd always tried to buy secondhand and pre-loved. Mm. But now it's just, there's no questioning it. It's just what we do. Um, and it allows you to ultimately um, work less because you don't need to buy the that's things it. that you don't need. I think that's a bit of a sensitive issue at the moment because of the cost of living. I think everyone is challenged by that Mm. um but that was another thing we learned is that when we do choose to live a bit more mindfully and frugally and when we're not constantly like I stopped getting my hair done and stopped getting my nails done and all that kind of stuff and I was like wow that's like hundreds of dollars a month I'm no longer spending um and it just made me realize that weighing up work and time is a really good way of of kind of figuring out what your priorities are. Mm. Do I want to work three hours to pay to get my nails done? I don't really think I do. That was really clear to me in a way that it kind of never had been before. The fourth one was that, that children don't need to be doing a lot of extracurricular activities. So for two and a half years, my children didn't do any swimming lessons, they didn't do any ballet, they didn't do anything. And we'd kind of consciously chosen to leave all those obligations behind. Mm -hmm. And it made me a much happier person when I didn't have to be here or there and adhere to this and that. And I know that that's very hard to escape in day-to-day life. But I think if you can open your diary at the start of each week and get it to a point where you don't feel completely overwhelmed and have a sense of dread about what's to come, I think that will change Ultimately, your well-being, and and don't be afraid to cancel things. I think, well, because of this pandemic, people are more flexible. They have to be, and you know, if you need to cancel a social obligation or move an appointment, then just do it. If it's something that you can't handle doing that week, that's it. Just do it. Yeah. And the fifth one was coming back to that idea of really asking yourself what's sustainable for you. Um, and I've been sharing every Sunday on Instagram, probably since about March, I share five ways to practice simplicity. Because the one criticism from my book, mm. which is written in prose, and it's not really, a, you know, I, I said to you before we press mm. record that, you know, so many simple, living, mindful books are kind of barking orders mm. at you and telling you what to do. Yeah. And it kind of makes you feel really bad about the yes. way that you live. And I, like, I really wanted to communicate that I'm not a simplicity guru, like I don't have all the answers. But here's perhaps how I've figured it out and perhaps you might want to figure it out this way too. They're just gentle suggestions. There's, there's no kind of, um there's no barking. or no
0: nagging so at all. No, no nagging. No. There's no
1: nagging. I didn't want to be the nagging author. Um, but the five ways to practice simplicity came about because people – the one criticism was that, oh, we just wanted a few more like practical tips. And I was like, amazing. Like I'll share them on Instagram every Sunday and you can start your week with these five suggestions. And so I've kind of – and it's a beautiful practice for me as a writer to do every single week because it really makes me think about the things that I do in my life that really I know help me. And if I stop doing them, I notice a difference and I come back to them. And I think that's what simplicity is ultimately. It's like this – It's an anchor to ground you and a compass to guide you. It's not an aesthetic um, and it's not so much a way of living, but it's more a mindset, I think. And so my five ways to practice simplicity can be everything from go to bed early without your phone and set yourself up for a settled sleep. It could be make sure you load the washing machine the night before so that the washing's done by 7am so you get it hung out before school run and before you head to work and it could be choose the easy option which for many of us might be buying the takeaway instead of cooking dinner that night and I think a lot of people especially in that simple living space it's like you've got to tick all these boxes and you've got to do all the environmentally friendly things but that fails to recognize our mental well-being and emotional wellbeing in that scenario. And so yes, some weeks I aim to use up every single last scrap of vegetables in my fridge so that I'm not wasting food. And the next week I look at all the food in the fridge and go, I can't cook tonight, we're buying takeaway. And I think that's just honoring where you are and um, being kind to yourself. And I think ultimately after all the uncertainty in the last few years, that's so crucial to our livelihoods
0: oh, they're really good tips I feel like you're just hugging me through the through the computer here through the, they're really nice they're really good tips and I do not feel like a bad person as I listen to them like I, I'm like I can, they, I can do that and
1: you can fill the washing machine the night before
0: <laughs> I can do you I can do go do to that. bed early yes good yes my gosh and My final question was also around being less distracted, less on our phones. Does that
1: come into the ethos? Yeah, there's a whole chapter on distraction in my book. And I think distraction can be really healthy if we're out in nature and being distracted by things that inspire us and motivate us and create perspective for us. But then there's the distraction of our phones, which is, you know, I'm a freelance writer And I spend a lot of time on screens and that's really hard to explain to my children that this is my work. And, you know, I think it's about ultimately acknowledging that the screens are there and that you have control of the habits that you create around those screens. So for me, that's making sure I don't take my phone to bed at night. And I go to bed early because I'm up early in the morning, but... um, yeah, I just, and it sets me up for a more settled sleep, which ultimately helps my whole lifestyle. Um, and it's also really being aware of when you're just scrolling as an avoidant tactic. The doom scroll? The doom scroll, yeah. The doom
0: scroll. Yeah.
1: The doom scroll. Um, but it's also being aware of how productive you can be when you don't have your phone there. And I also just think like, I often just picture what my children are seeing and do my children looking up at me want to see me on my phone all the time? It's not a very, it's a pretty ugly image.
0: I know. I'm working on this big time. It's a big focus for me at the moment.
1: Mm -hmm. But we all do it um, and, you know, it's just part of life. So I think just being aware, being aware is the biggest first step you can take, I think.
0: And just finally, I was going to say, from reading your book, which I really recommend everyone buy it it's it's just beautiful. I love it. From the book, the big thing I took out was that change is possible with belief, and it's the tiny moments of joy that that really prove that we don't need all the stuff to live well.
1: Mm, we don't, and I think um, I think getting out into nature. Even if you live in yeah. a city, there is nature all around you. And just mm. being aware of what makes you feel content because contentment just doesn't come from online shopping and it doesn't come from living a life where you're, you feel like you're kind of um, attached to your plans and obligations. And so peppering moments of contentment throughout your day is really important. And I think also rest is very important. Um, rest is essential for productivity and I think in a society that really values productivity against or above anything else we really have to go against the grain there and, and say you know we need those winter seasons those fallow seasons in order to be really abundant and fruitful in the seasons when we're most productive.
0: Practicing simplicity It is a wonderful, wonderful read. It will stay on my bedside table. It's not going anywhere. And I can't wait for the new book too. I'm not sure if we're allowed to talk about that.
1: Yes. um, New book is available to pre-order now. It is published end of January next year and I have (laughs) co-written it with my dear friend, Sophie Walker from Australian Birth Stories podcast. Um, It's the complete Australian guide to pregnancy and birth. It's felt like a baby (laughs) and the editing phase felt like labor Um, Um, yeah, and so we're so proud of it. It's the first book of its kind in over 20 years. You know, we know that it's going to really encourage women to get informed and to actively prepare for birth and plan for postpartum. And yeah, it's kind of my dream job working with Sophie. I've worked alongside her on the podcast for about three years now. And I feel like it's work that makes a difference to women's lives because birth is life altering. Um, And in Australia, one third of Australian women have birth trauma, either physical, psychological Mm. or both. So there's a lot of fear around birth, and um, the Australian maternity System is something that you really need to know about, And, and this book will really give you a lot of information, a lot of facts and statistics, but also a lot of very kind and gentle advice.
0: I love your work, all of it. I'm I'm here for it. So thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your words of wisdom.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Steph. And
0: we're Rolling is produced by Habari Productions and Stephanie Hunt Media. Let me know what you thought of this podcast. We're on Instagram and Facebook. And you can also chat via our website, stephaniehuntmedia.com. And while you're there, feel free to sign up to our newsletter. It's worth it. I hope you're able to find a second or two to practice simplicity this week. Please take care, there's a whole lot going on. Thanks for listening. I'm Sky Manson, and my podcast, Company, tells the story of ambitious women in the bush.
1: I never thought that I would end up back here, but. I'm so excited. Thinking of my ideal
0: morning being up again before everybody else and often in the garden, often, I have to say, still in my pyjamas with my work boots on. I follow a lot of food influencers on Instagram Sky and I kept seeing these American influencers
1: constantly eating beef jerky and bill tom.
0: Our homes are our sanctuary, they're our restaurants, they're our cafes, they're our nightclubs, they're our everything. Produced and recorded from an office on my farm in New South Wales, the Company podcast aims to celebrate the lives of women living and working outside of the cities in rural, regional and remote Australia. For four seasons each year, Company is released weekly at 6am on a Thursday morning. Find the podcast, company, wherever you listen to your podcasts and sign up to the newsletter at mansonandcompany.com.